You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where end of quote, repeat the line. I'm your host, Justin Nemlesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Before we get started here and bring in my co-host, I want to share something with you that I screenshotted and threw into the Discord. I'm sharing it because I think it's very relevant to the midside. It's relevant to a lot of what we've talked about uh, on this show. Uh, a friend sent it to me. It was a, it was a tweet, and the tweet says, "This is in a history class. WTF? The education system is beyond beyond is in all caps repair. So again, this is in history class. WTF? The education system is beyond repair, and it's a kid who took the hammer and sickle and put an equal sign and then put the swastika. So saying communism and Nazism are the same thing. And we've talked about that numerous times on this show, right? Where we had the shirt that says false dichotomy and in it is, you know, anti-communism and anti-Nazism, right? Anti-fascism. And then they follow this up. This tweeter follows this up with the idea that communism equals Nazism is pure Western propaganda. Fascism has always aligned with capitalism, not communism. And I just found this incredibly ironic because this person tweeting with the handle at capitalism kills is an example of someone who the education system has destroyed with propaganda, but is claiming the other side is propaganda. And this is the point we are at in society. We are at the point where people who are completely brainwashed are so brainwashed they complain, they claim that the other side is brainwashed. And I don't know how you continue a conversation with someone like this. Someone who's at, whose handle is capitalism kills and says the idea that communism is Nazism is pure Western propaganda. Fascism has always aligned with capitalism, not communism. And then if you read the replies to this tweet, they complain about libertarianism as well and talk about how that's so fascistic and has been aligned with fascism. How you get to the point of saying that ideas and beliefs that are for smaller government are more fascist, and of course they would then say, you know, the fascism is by the the corporate powers, right? The corporate powers, the ones who are being fascist, that's how they get around that. But how you get around the idea that, you know, people who are advocating for smaller government and for capitalism, less government involvement in the market, less control of the market, is all about fascism. And then you're claiming the other side doesn't know what fascism is. That's beyond me. And, you know, that's what social media is. People can indulge in their little fantasies and not be beholden to reality and keep posting in their little fantasy world about how insane everyone else is. That's what witnessing the farce is all about, pointing that out. So let's get to some farce witnessing. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Another beautiful week in L.A. Uh, I, I, I... 
based on the intro, though, I, I have a question for you, Justin. We have to be able to blame someone or something for this uh, this terrible state of uh, the education program. And I I, I learned uh, from you, and uh, I think most Ocon uh, attendees learned. Uh, there's a perfect person to blame. Chandler, it's all your fault. So now we have it, <laughs> and uh, it's ready. Uh, we're ready to assign blame whenever we need to. I think that's really what At Capitalism Kills was saying, was that it's all Chandler's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think... Uh, Chandler, it's all your fault. It's true, it's just true. <laughs> all right, well, yeah, that I got a nice concert to go to today. I'm looking forward to that. We're recording on a Saturday. The Discord listeners uh, listening live uh, are well aware. And, uh, you know, I've had a friend in town this week um, from Michigan and just uh, been... Super busy, um, and I am looking forward to relaxing today and enjoying a concert. If you can relax in the sun, uh, I'm going to I'm, and listen to music. That's definitely what I'm going to do today. Yeah, that that same show. You know, it has like May Day Parade and State Champs and the Somerset coming back out of retirement. The Somerset yeah. recently came back. They're all performing at Sad Summerfest. And that same festival is in Orlando on Friday. So I have considered going to it because it does bring back Warp Tour memories. Yeah. Uh, it is only one stage. And as part of those memories, I, I, I did reflect on how I used to get so dehydrated in the sun. You know, it was, was really fun when I was younger. But now, you know, I'm getting older and I was like, do I really want to be out in the Orlando sun free- from like 2.30 to 10 p.m.? <laughs> In California, they've already said there's free water stations everywhere, and, on the, and they, they showed us on the like plan your trip sort of like emails, right? But you can't bring you have to you can only bring certain approved plastic bottles, and they must be empty. Um, so I have to I have to look at the instructions and make sure I don't pack anything that would be uh, considered contraband, and uh, and and then you know you, normally they you, they wouldn't let you allow a bag in either, but now if you're going to be carrying water bottles in and <laughs> But you you are you are allowed allowed a small bag, and so I I don't know I think it's going to be a mess trying to get in, but but hey, it's going to be yeah, worth it. I mean I, I don't I've never seen Florida's... state champs I've I've never seen state champs live, so it's going to be worth it just for that. Okay, first of all, you've never seen state champs live. Nope. That is unbelievable. State champs is one of the best bands in pop punk. Yeah, I said it. Uh, lead singer is amazing, so you're going to really enjoy that. I you're also going to enjoy. As Gavin Newsom says, your California freedom. I don't know if um, if Florida will have free water everywhere because we know Florida is against freedom, right, Gavin Newsom? Yeah, yeah. Where did that go? I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight or join us in California where we still believe in freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to choose, freedom from hate, and the freedom to love. Don't let them take your freedom. Don't let them take your free water, Florida. I'm sure Florida's going to have water, too. Yeah, I'm sure they'll do. They'll probably do the same thing. You want to know what's the most ridiculous thing about that political ad from Gavin Newsom? There actually was a more ridiculous political ad this week. You want to talk about it? Let's do it. Let's do it in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. 
Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals. We accept any and all support, including affirmations, perhaps especially affirmations if we're going to festivals called the Sad Summer Fest. Maybe we really need affirmations then. <laughs> you know who I think really needs an affirmation, though, William, is the Representative Jerome Davis. Uh, he's running for Congress, and this political ad came across my screen. Somebody sent it to me uh, in a tweet where he said, make rifles great again. And I think he's from uh, Arizona. I think this guy's from Arizona. But this ad, Jerome Davis, as you would imagine, uh, he's a black guy. Looks like he played in the NFL and he played for Arizona State University. Um, He's Arizona candidate for District 4. This ad... You honestly don't even need to see it, right? It's kind of like a yeah. little more ridiculous if you see it, but if you just listen to it, holy shit. So let's let's go ahead and play that ad now. All right, here we go. Democrats like to say that no one needs an AR-15 for self-defense. That no one could possibly need all 30 rounds. But when this rifle is the only thing standing between your family and a dozen angry Democrats in clan hoods, you just might need that semi-automatic and all 30 rounds. William. Yes. How is this legal? And and I mean that kind of seriously. Like, first of all, the idea of calling the Democrats the Ku Klux Klan, right? And I know the history of it and everything and actually it's linked more with the with the Democrats with the left than the right. But yeah. calling them that in the year 2022, holy shit, this guy's just trying to be provocative. But also, let's think of the imagery here, right? So this this shows 30 guys dressed in Klan costumes, which, first of all, that's fucking ridiculous enough in a political ad, right? Mm-hmm. But after he calls them Democrats, he then shows them getting shot down with the rifle. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I, you know, we should, we, we talk about, come on. we may have reached, but we, we, we talked about this, uh, I, I think, uh, in discord or in the text that I can't remember, uh, you know, we may have reached uh, peak woke, but we will never reach peak farce. And, uh, this is, this is both farcical and I think brilliant because how many times have we talked about how the, this mob mentality and this inter, interpersonal hostility, and it's mostly coming from the left. Now I wouldn't have said Democrats there. Um, I, 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 if I was doing that, I would have said, you know, 12 angry leftists or something like that. Right. But, uh, but he's in, well, he's couldn't in the you political say, arena. Look, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to follow up on that. Couldn't this point have been made much better? Because to me, the use of the term Democrats or the use of the term leftists yeah. is what really makes this farcical. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. It would have been possibly brilliant if it didn't have that. But if it had... As a black guy, right? Because this is a black guy. If it had, as a black guy saying, what are you going to do when you're faced down by 30 Ku Klux Klan members? And he shows them shooting them down. Wouldn't you then have turned the left's rhetoric on itself about guns and be like, oh, maybe maybe this guy's got a point. But instead, when you turn it into a fantasy of killing Democrats, doesn't that become something much more insidious? Doesn't that become the interpersonal hostility? It is. It is that that's you're making uh, 
you're you're making exactly my point, which means William, my degree from FU says you are a hundred percent correct. Yeah, that, we can play that every episode. <laughs> so that that is exactly the point that I'm making because if because of how it was called how it called out people and this fantasy you know this this like you said shooting fantasy it actually becomes the thing it's trying to dec- decry so it's like mocking itself it's a it's a it's a uh, it, it's a wonderful little piece of farce it's it, it is a woko joke that that is too well it's too real to not be also a joke we just live in that time justin i, I don't know how to explain it other than that where where this this can be nothing but funny, and it could have been no other way. If if someone was going to make an ad like this, it was going to be a black Republican. It was going to be, you know, Ku Klux Klan. It was going to be sh- a, a shooting fantasy. Like this is the, you know, Tim Pool's been going crazy for 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 months now, talking about uh, the looming threat of a civil war. Uh, this is all part of that uh, interpersonal hostility we see bubbling around the culture in America. Completely. And what you say about it could only ever be funny. Isn't this a funnier SNL sketch than SNL has come up with in like two decades? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they have to follow all these crazy rules and they have to not offend people. And, you know, this if this was done as a joke, this would have been the funniest uh, uh, SNL segment ever. And if you're offended by this, right, and... Yeah, you know, we can talk to the left on this one because I, I'm kind of on the left side on this one. Like, this is ridiculous. But this is what witnessing the farce is all about. William, when you see something like this, you can't get mad at this. You can't be like, oh, they have a shooting fantasy for me. You just have to be, this is so beyond the pale. It's so beyond ridiculous that you can't take an ad like this seriously. This person... I would be shocked if this person got elected to anything. And if he did get elected to anything, I would be shocked if he was capable of accomplishing anything. That's how disconnected and tone deaf this ad is. So this is just, isn't this just something you you can't take seriously? You just have to laugh at? Yeah, I think that's, I think it's not just that, it's not that just that you have to laugh at it, laugh at it. It's that you should, that that's the rational response to this. Is it because it, it's just funny? It, it has certainly it, it's, impotent, I, uh, it's culturally impotent uh, in the long term, right? And that's that's the way I was using have to, right? I wasn't yeah. like saying like you're morally required to laugh at it, like legally required. I was saying that if you're healthy, the only possible response you can have is to laugh at this, especially the audio, right? Like I watched it first without the audio, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And then at that point, I was in public and I didn't want to watch it with audio on in public because i was like this might get me shot right so then i watched it with the audio and it's just like i i laughed so hard it's just the same thing with the gavin newsom thing right it's the same exact thing if you listen to what they're saying it's two sides of the same coin and it's absolutely ridiculous and if we want to talk about absolutely ridiculous and taking things seriously and avoiding reality William, I, I don't understand why things come out in the news and people act like they're big deals and they're shocking and it's going to change things and it's going to you know, be groundbreaking. So over the past few weeks, the Wall Street Journal has been running some articles about Vince McMahon, the founder and CEO and head of creative for WWE, about his 
sexual escapades. And they did a, another one recently where uh, they escalated it further and that apparently he's agreed to pay $12 million in hush money to four women. And these women, we're not just talking like it started with a couple weeks ago. One was like a paralegal working in the office. But we're not just talking about office workers. Like apparently one of them was a an actual female wrestler who uh, was fired from the company in 2005. And he's paying like significant amounts of money to these people. Three million dollars to one of the the women, apparently. But here's the thing. Yeah. I've never been a huge fan of WWE. I think it's sort of like the worst possible version of professional wrestling. I think it's sort of like the lowest effort professional wrestling. And that's not to say, you know, there haven't been people who've been successful. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Dwayne Johnson, The Rock post WWE, right? Uh, there was some years where Triple H ran NXT well, and that was done well. But I was always a WCW fan. And here's the thing. I always thought, and I don't know what your perception was in the 90, 90s, I always thought WWE was so stupid in the 90s. Yeah, the way that it was, was done. And yeah, I didn't want to watch it. Impression. Go ahead. Yeah, that was totally my impression. I agree with you. I, I just saw it right. as like so stupid and cliched and like, uh, you're just like, what, how, how, like so simplistic too. And just like right. nothing really there. Well, I think simplistic's a good way to look at it. And I think that's a good sort of look into the mindset of Vince McMahon. And you, if you look at the things he did on camera, right, where he had the kiss my ass club, where literally, and I think this was in the 2000s, not the, the 90s, but literally he would have wrestlers kiss his ass and they would literally kiss his ass, right? And that's part of the storyline. Or he would have the female wrestlers kiss him as part of the storylines and they would literally kiss him. Then if you're looking at that, is it really a shock that this type of story breaks about Vince McMahon? Yeah, not really. I mean, um, I guess uh, men have been asking and uh, receiving blowjobs for uh, granting favors to certain people uh, for hundreds of thousands of years. And uh, it's no it's no good no matter which way you look at it. Well, right. And the, and the, and the, the deeper question here, William, is because one of the things we talk about along with witnessing the farce is that this is about culture and it's about what you do on a daily basis of what kind of things you engage in. Yeah, we should have random right, acts of blowjobs, right? You shouldn't, it shouldn't, blowjobs shouldn't come tit for tat. I want to live in a world where, <laughs> well, where random acts, random acts of kindness and random acts of blowjobs uh, happens harmoniously. Not the point I was getting at, but well taken. The point I'm getting at is, at what point do you... As a fan of professional wrestling or sport or art, see these kind of things happen and continue to support this kind of thing. I mean, WWE is a billion dollar company, right? I mean, it's a cultural icon in the United States where companies like WCW died or, you know, TNA still exists as a smaller company now or AEW is a startup and people, you know, make fun of it. And it's, it's, it's not as big. Why is it that something like this? And it's the same question with Marvel, right? I wouldn't call Marvel as base, 
But when we get into Thor Love and Thunder today, which I'm going to review, we'll see some of the similar things when we talk about their formula. Well, why I, I is would, it? I would I would say Marvel Comics is completely base and uh, irredeemed. Like it's just irredeemable at this point. Um, yeah, they're okay, hire, hiring people. They're hiring people purely based on their surface level features, and uh, and then like there's no stories that are no no creative stories. Uh, that are coming out. No, no stories that are selling anything. No. Okay. So then here's the question I have based on that, based on what I'm saying about Vince McMahon and WWE, right. And these, you know, Oh my God, shocking allegations, which are not shocking at all. It's the same thing. When we look at something like remember Joss Whedon, same thing happened with Joss Whedon, right? Where yeah. all the stuff came out about him and we saw the way he interacted with, I mean, look what he did to, to justice league, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why, when we see these obvious cultural issues with shows and entertainment and other elements of culture, do we continue to engage with them? Why do we not just write them off? I blame Chandler. Are you going to play it or? I did. Chandler, it's all your fault. I mean, Chandler, you have to answer for your crimes here. Yeah. Do you get the point I'm making, though? Isn't it something so interesting? I mean, the reason I put the story on is it's such an extreme. He was literally making women kiss him on camera. He was literally making male wrestlers, any wrestlers, kiss his ass on camera. It's not a far cry to think he was doing these things off camera. So why why would people watch this? Why would they continue to? I don't know. Yeah. Something to uh, reflect on. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I, it's not something I've paid attention to in so many years. Right. I don't think I, I can't remember the last time I watched a, uh, WWE, um, probably college was probably the last time to be honest. Yeah. And I, I watch it a little bit here and there, but I, I, I don't consistently watch it for this reason. Yeah, makes sense. But it's not the only thing, William, that people support that make no sense. I mean, we've been ahead of the curve with other things, such as Pride Month. And you sent an article this week. You sent an article called To Hell With Pride Month from spiked-online.com. Never heard of the website before. But this seems to be written by a guy in England, a British guy, saying a lot of the same things we've said about Pride. So I pulled out a few quotes here that I want to read and then talk about a little bit. He said, even then, which was 1985, I found the concept of pride as something to be celebrated rather odd. I wasn't and am still not remotely proud or indeed ashamed of my sexual orientation. I consider it utterly unremarkable and ideally I'd like everybody else to feel that way too. Yeah. Again, William, isn't something this is this we've is said the, here in the midside? Uh, yes, this is something I said very, very early on that I was, uh, as I was figuring out my sexual identity, uh, that I did not understand this, right? Like, the opposite of shame is not pride in this context, right? And and it, it's very second-handed. It's always felt very second-handed to me, Um back in the day and like there was some purpose for pushing the boundary of and, and challenging the shame. And in that sense, pride wasn't the, necessarily the right word to use, but the sediment, the the sort of sense of life of it back then was, I think at least 
uh, on stronger moral grounds, right? But today, it's like you're you're trying to take pride in an identity, an unearned identity, right? Um, it's it's crazy to me, and it's all it's been leading to is this crazy, crazy conformity. Um, you know, it's like uh, everyone's a uh, everyone's a uh, uh, a uh, punk rocker. You know, they they all they all uh, have the same pink hair. They all have the same political views. They all regurgitate the same uh, uh, book lines and 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 quotes. And they all listen to the same music. And it's like, what are we really doing with this uh, pride? Other than expanding it, uh, I think it's Pride season now in the, in the UK, not just like Pride month or Pride day. Well, right. And, and what you said about the identity of it, right? It's because it's now a group to belong to. It's not like just something that's part of who you are. Well, I, and, yes. And I, you know, I've talked about uh, on the show many times. I don't feel like I belong in the group. I mean, here I am identifying as a woman, uh, been a gay man um, uh, also most of my life. And uh, and yeah, I, I definitely do not feel a part of whatever this community is that... Uh, says these things and does uh, these things described in the article, right? Um, I feel well, no that's identity because, with him. That's because what people would say to you and the author of this article is that your privilege is showing. The idea of not being able to think about, you know, thinking your sexual orientation is unremarkable can only come from a place of privilege. Now, privilege wait, wait. being someone who is, you know, not subject to suffering because of who they are no well i think what you're trying to say is i am still privileged in some way <laughs> so i i think that's true but uh i think uh privilege the privilege term is a uh is a, a bit of an anti-concept right because uh yes, that comes back to the earned and the unearned for that yes um and uh i can only be judged for the things that i've earned and and what i've done right. with the things that i have and and have earned um, you know, I can't, well, be and judged. That's the other... I, I can't be judged morally poor because I, I was born in America and not Djibouti. Right. And that that's something else that people are uncomfortable with about uh, sexuality. And, it you know, this will wrap into the last quote when we get there in a second to something I actually I, I identify with something this guy says. But um, the idea that you talk about the earned, there is a difference, William, between having a desire and acting on a desire and people don't want to talk about that with sexuality because, and I'm not saying you should, I want to talk about, I'm being descriptive. I'm not being prescriptive here. So nobody think I'm telling gay people not to have sex with people of the same gender, do whatever you want. I don't care. But the point is that's a choice. That's a choice. And if that's what you're trying to be proud of, that's a lot different than just being proud of simply existing and that's what the point the author of this article, William, is making as a point is pride has become about saying, oh, I simply exist, so I should be proud of that. No, this yeah. isn't about your urges. This is about your actions and what you do with them. So maybe you should celebrate your actions and your choices. Right. It's the same thing. Uh, Adam Kroll says a birthday versus like accomplishment day. Yeah. Like the idea of birthdays is kind yeah. of ridiculous. Yep. Well, right, that's why I, that's why I have a birth month, and uh, and it's a uh, we we celebrate uh, all month long all the achievements that I'd, that I've completed over uh, the last year. So, all right, let's let's continue with this article. This would all be merely humorous and amusing 
a kind of even more secular Christmas if Pride hadn't taken on new layers of political meaning in the past decade or so. Excellent point by him. Excellent point. And he continues. New letters attach themselves mysteriously to the LGBT plus acronym. It, I mean, we've kind of unpacked on this show. It's not as mysterious as he, he makes it out to be. The silly kindergartenish rainbow flag now includes an arrow for transgenderism and an umbrella. Your guess is as good as mine for sex work, both embodyingly embodying highly contentious and hotly contested political demands concealed under a banner of being nice and kind. So I think William that he, he shows with his word choice here, the, the tactic that's being used with pride, which, mm-hmm. Demonstrate the tactics that's used to put forward these ideas and why social justice in general has taken hold. And the word he words he used are silly, kindergartenish, nice, and kind. And what I mean, William, is they do two things. One, they portray their point of view as the antidote to interpersonal hostility. So they create a culture of interpersonal hostility, right? Oh, gays are hated. So we need to have pride to show them that we shouldn't be ashamed. And look, there are issues with that. I'm not denying it, that people were forced in the closet. People were harsh towards them. But they act as if the world is victim and victimizer, that that's all that exists. So then they say, oh, well, our side is the nice and kind side. But then they take it a step further, William. Silly, kindergartenish. They make their side seem so non-threatening or so simplistic, people don't think it could be a problem. Oh, well, that has to be true. It's it, it's in, Overall, it's a very specious approach to this. They take what seems true and make it seem like it has to be true because of that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like was... Uh, tooling around in my head, this is a point that uh, Joshua uh, Slocum makes on the Disaffected podcast, and it connects to uh, the one of our themes, which is talking about narcissism and the rampant narcissism in the culture. And one of the things that he pointed out with the uh, with this whole, uh, and it's visually represented in the new gay flag, that is the uh, the arrow of the transgender and non-binary people and queer folk uh, uh, taking over the flag, right? Uh, infecting the entire flag, pushing everyone else, uh, pushing the gays and the lesbians out. Um, and the bisexuals push all them out. Um, and the point that he makes is it's called forced teaming, right? I have nothing, uh, per se in common with a queer person. Why are they on my team in the LGBTQIALMNOP plus hashtag minus, uh, acronym, right? There's nothing, there's nothing I get out of the, the, uh, and for, for lack of a better term for new listeners, queer really means politically gay and, and woke politically gay, right? Intersectionally politically gay. That's all that queer means. Um, and so like, what do I have in common with them? Why am I forced to team with them? Right. As this forced teaming is a very, very much used by, uh, narcissists and, uh, and, uh, other folks that suffer from cluster B personality disorder. And it's, we're seeing it at a, a, a at a as a cultural behavior, right? What do I have in common with you know someone who's transitioning? You know, why 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 are they on this team? Why do, why don't they have their own team? Right, and it's interesting you bring up the narcissism thing with the force teaming because I think that 
they do the same thing where they paint themselves as the good guys, right? They're nice and kind. And then they make it seem so simplistic that it has to be true. Yeah. And I think there's also a level of irony here, which is what I was alluding to earlier, where you're saying, what do I have in common with them? Right. This this article ends near near the end. There's a quote that really stuck out to me, really stuck out to me that I was just kind of like, uh, you don't realize what you just wrote here. And, and this is the quote. Straight people, put yourself in our shoes. And this is what I mean, where, where he said he didn't know what he was writing. He didn't know what he just said. Straight people, put yourself in our shoes. Think how it would feel if every time your sexuality was mentioned, people let off streamers and started simultaneously celebrating and apologizing the way that alcoholics do. Now, William, I understand that you're gay, so our experiences aren't exactly the same because I'm straight, but... I think that, my experience. That, <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to make a dick sucking joke, but that can wait. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Let's wait for that before you undermine my awesome point I'm about to make here. <laughs> well, it's my my experience when I was a kid, right? When I was a you know young adolescent in middle school and high school, is anytime you like someone or express sexual interest, it becomes a big deal. You know, adults say it's cute or adults want to help you or the other teens blow it out of proportion. I remember saying I was attracted to a girl and like suddenly it became a rumor and everyone made a big deal out of it. So explain to me how straight people don't go through the same thing where we're made to feel ashamed for our sexuality and we're, we're made to have our sexuality be a big deal when it shouldn't it just be normal. Shouldn't it literally isn't the best way to parent a kid who likes someone just be like, well, why don't you talk to them? Do you like anything besides their looks? Like not make a big deal out of it, right? Not embarrass them. Yeah. Now I'm look, I'm, I'm, I want to put a disclaimer in here besides the disclaimer at the top of the show. Right. I also want to put a disclaimer that I'm not saying it's anywhere near the same level of extremity. I'm not, but what I'm pointing out is there are similarities here. That we all share as part of the human experience. So there's force teaming when we're already on the same team, William. Yeah. I mean, am I crazy? Yes, you are crazy. But in this case, you're also right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, you're 100% correct, as, the, as, uh, as Daniel says. Or as you say, sorry. Um, yeah, that was my drop. Yeah. Um, I think that it's really interesting to think about like what you just said. Uh, will be taken out of context at some point, and thank God we disavowed it already. And it is used as, as it will be argued that it's homophobic because I've been called a self-hating gay for saying the same thing, for saying like, "Hey, why are we making this so stereotypically gay, or so like so uh, so we're being so in your face about the gayness of something when it's like, hey." People can connect to this. That this is there's universal themes to be connected to. There's universal experiences. Like everyone, like you just said, everyone ha- has experienced in their teens that uh, sexual frustration and this embarrassment and the uh, and all of those things that come with it. And it's just a difference in kind, right? It's a it, it's a it, or sorry, a difference in 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 the intensity, not in, in like not not that it's a totally different thing. And to even right, difference say that, in degree, not yeah, kind. Thank you. Yeah, difference in degree, not kind. And and so to even say that though is uh, automatically considered homophobic. And as Eminem would say, uh, I I don't think it's homophobic. Y'all just heterophobic. 
he well early Eminem would say that. I don't think modern I don't think Eminem woke, would yeah, say that. Yeah, woke Eminem would say that. Woke, woke, woke Eminem would not say that. But yeah, it's it's it, it's so interesting to me, man. Like, and I think that's why I've always gotten along with with gay people because like I I treat it as a difference of degree, not kind. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like I, that's just it would be like it would be like treating like someone who like like let's say you you met two immigrants and uh and one was uh immigrated from uh the mountains of Afghanistan and the other immigrated from the UK and uh and and it would be like you treating them completely separately right like completely differently uh and and instead of like hey they they're going to face the same problems now some of them are going to be you know some would be more than the others right uh, the language barrier between uh Someone from the UK and someone from Afghanistan is going to be much greater, right? But there's still a language barrier. Both people have, you know, they're they're going to be uh, uh, asking for a fag and getting uh, someone like me instead of a cigarette. Yeah. Well, and it, what's interesting is this sort of goes back to what we always say on the show. The root issues are never addressed, right? Like, no. isn't the root issue that we're trying to make everyone's sexuality everyone else's business? rather than like making everyone accept everyone's sexuality yeah. like do do i have to go around and accept everybody's relationship like that's another thing people don't what talk does about that like, even mean yeah i think I, I that's a great point Jesse. because you know this is uh i, I got in a little a little bit of a, a twitter uh hissy fits uh with the overturning of roe versus wade and saying like hey you know like i don't think that this will affect gay marriage but you know if it if it does like you know, if you're worried about that, there's things to do, you know, like make a law, not a, uh, don't have it just be a, a court decision. And, um, but even again, it comes back to even pointing something like that out, you get called, um, you know, homophobic, right? So it's, it's absolutely nuts. Yeah. Why are we all so concerned about other people is what it comes down to, right? Yeah. Like, well, and, and I, I think the marriage thing too, like the other thing that, and this is going to get me uh, 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 excommunicated from the gay community. Uh, we went too far, quote unquote, in the royal we, the the gays, uh, in the the marriage uh, stuff. It's not that we want like it wasn't good enough, quote unquote, to have civil unions. Right? It needed to be called marriage, and it needed to be uh, it needed to be um, uh, identical in every way to 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 marriage including like like forcing companies and people and everyone to accept it right this there's this sort of like uh militant sort of like in your face like changing people's minds through the courts right or or through passing a law right um and that that was not the right approach right and, and the reason i say that is we know that tolerance of um, uh, gay and lesbian and bisexual folks in the West has been uh, increasing um, at a very, very steady rate. And this was, it, it became more of a, like, rubbing it in people's faces rather than, like you said, like, hey, it's kind of none of your business, but if it ends up being your business because, you know, your partner gets in a, in a car accident and you need to make medical decisions for them or you need to act as next of kin or all these other things, right? Um, that's okay, right? And and there's no forcing and needing of you to call that that you know when someday uh, I, uh, I I marry a uh, beautiful um, Orlando Bloom, 
um, and 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 get to call him my husband. There's there's nothing that like forces you, Justin, to use the word husband, right, or to call it marriage, right? Well, right. What you're talking about is the the privileging of language over the privileging of action or privileging language over action. And what I mean by that is you just talked about it with the term civil union. Right. You had all the same legal rights. So why does it matter what other people call it? And they would say, oh, well, it matters because we need to be seen as equal. And the way people talk about it makes it seen as equal. Well, immediately there, you've just accepted the premise that language is more important than action. Well, you can do all the same things. So why do you give a fuck what people say? I mean, another way to think about this is like interracial marriages, right? Which is something, something I could talk about. And Daniel's talked about it before on this show, you know, with his Pakistani wife, where he doesn't think of himself as an interracial marriage. Like, I don't think about that. Like, I just think well, of my wife as my wife. Daniel doesn't sure... even think of Daniel uh, half the time doesn't think of himself as an interracial person. Right. He's just Daniel. Well, because how? Well, how do you do that? that I mean, that's the same thing with the Kinsey scale, right? Like, yeah. who sits around, William, and thinks about what percentage gay they are? Like, I don't understand that mindset. Like, I don't know either. This, this is the same thing that uh, I've always asked about, like, with the trans thing. Like, what does it mean to feel like a man or a woman? And I read on Reddit recently that someone said, it doesn't feel like you're a man or a woman. It feels like you're in the wrong body. Right. Well, how does that translate to the Kinsey scale? Yeah. How does that translate to the Kinsey scale? Like, do you feel like, how do you feel a certain percentage gay? Well, it's the same thing. Like, what does it mean? Daniel's half Mexican, right? What does it mean to feel half Mexican? I mean, technically, I'm ha- I'm like Italian and Polish. What does that mean? I mean, what that means to me, I can speak personally. When I come across other Polish people and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I feel a, con- a connection to you because we act um in an instinctive, I don't want to use the word instinctive. We act in a learned way. Our learned behavior that seems calm to seems natural to us is very similar. Same thing when I meet an Italian person, right? I'm like, Oh, okay. Like we can communicate with, there's a simplistic thing of that. But I mean, my wife's Filipino. She comes from Catholic culture, Catholic culture comes from Poland, right? Comes from Italy. So there are very, there are similarities with the way we interact as well. So it's not, it's not about race in that way, right? And maybe there are similar things with like, with the way, you know, the Kinsey scale, like how gay you are, you act a certain way based on what's natural to you. But that's more, who are the people you around? What were you raised with? What did you get used to? So I don't understand comparing that. Uh, my, my point here is comparing that against other people. As long as you have the opportunity to take the actions you want uninhibited, and you you have the same rights as everyone else. Why does it matter? I mean, as far as the interracial stuff goes, I'm sure there are people who look at Daniel and Fiza and look at uh, me and my wife and don't agree with it. Do I wor- walk out in public and think, oh, who doesn't agree with it? Because it seems to me people with this interpersonal hostility, with this victim complex, go out in public and think that way. Oh, who looks at me because I'm gay and they have a problem with that? And William, I'm going to tell you, I'll admit something right now. You are someone who knows I've never had a problem with a gay person. Have you ever heard me say anything negative about people who choose to do whatever they want with their sexuality? No. But when people are over the top flamboyant and they put it in my face 
That pisses me off because I don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. I don't want to interact with you if I don't have to, and you don't need to shove shit in my face. And you know what? I've always had the same problem. We'll use the stereotype of frat bros. I've had the same problem with dudes who shove their sexuality in my face too. Dude, I don't want to hear about all the girls you hooked up with. I don't want to hear about all that stuff. I don't understand people who talk about the nitty gritty details of all their sexual exploits. I've never understood that. It It's over the top to me. Straight or gay, whatever, wherever you are on this, the Kinsey scale, whatever scale you want to fucking use, whatever scale you're on, I've never understood it. And it seems to me to be more focused on caring about what other people think than what you yourself think. Yeah. It's a lot All right. Well, in. I think, I think that's a good, uh, uh end of that story. Cause you, you seem to have nothing else to say. So let's return to something you said earlier in the episode. Ah, you talked peak about woke. peak woke, right? This is the peak woke edition. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about, we'll never reach peak far, peach, far, peach, far, peak farce, but perhaps farce. we've reached peak woke. Again, this is something we were ahead of the curve on, right? I think yeah. we've, have we tracked recently on the show how woke seems to be in decline? I mean, yeah, we did. We talked about Netflix put yep. stuff in their employee agreement about, you know, combating against wokeness. And we've seen other places do that. Well, yeah. well, and historically Coinbase's CEO, right? Like saying, hey, we're just here for the mission. We're not here for diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Right. So we're starting to see that. And this article on city-journal.org talks about that as well. And I'd like to pull out some quotes from this one as well. It tears institutions apart from the inside by encouraging people to see minor interactions as conflicting, conflictual and victimizing to respond catastrophically to events toward which they should show resilience and to set up massive bureaucracies to deal with these sorts of disputes. If anything, wokeness is worse for political organizations because as adherents see the internal politics of the organization as being as important as or more so than any external project. So a progressive nonprofit might feel internal pressure to conform to woke standards, even as progressive legislative agenda languishes. William, this is a a great thing he's pointing out that people are starting to realize woke is necessarily destructive. Social justice is necessarily destructive because it takes that idea of interpersonal hostility. We were just talking about it with the last article. Pride is necessarily destructive because it's saying the system as it exists will always be oppressive. So we always need to be in this in the process of destroying the system because that way we're making sure no one is ever oppressed. Isn't that what this person's talking about here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, 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 it's so fascinating to see, you know, like, uh, of course we're, we were ahead of the curve, uh, no doubt there, but to see it, uh, presented in this way, uh, you know, uh, we see this a lot in a lot of political organizations in, in companies on campuses. We've seen all of this, um, uh, come out and, what has woke actually accomplished, right? If you look at woke as a religion, which it was what we have to do, like what has it done other than cause a lot of just pain and people being canceled, right? Like there's not, there's not any accomplishments or cultural change that has really happened. You know, gay marriage didn't happen because of woke demonstrations, right? Right. And just one cultural thing that we were just talking about. Right. And that's by design, 
And I think there are people who are doing that on purpose. And that goes into the next paragraph I wanted to highlight here. My discipline of philosophy is home to a school of thought maintaining that forcing people to use words differently will lead to revolutionary political successes. Few people who promote this kind of academic project as politically useful have any experience in electoral politics or political organizing, even of the traditionally left-wing kind. Politically ambitious progressives are tiring of it, because as we just talked about, William, it's the privileging of language over action. And when you privilege language over action, you're focused on destruction. You're not focused on building something. And I, I think, and, and I think the language policing is a destruction at the conceptual level, and it makes it yes. even worse, right? Because yes. you're unable to think. Um, they're they're trying to attack words, trying to force anti concepts into your thinking. Um, you know, like the whole racism thing, right? Like we've talked about it on previous shows, right? Racism as uh, as defined by woke just obliterates it's just an anti-concept there's no thinking that can be done it's a dead end it's an intellectual dead end and it blows up all your thinking about uh racism and treating people fairly and justice it, it just obliterates all that it obliterates reality so right and that's intentional on many mm-hmm. people's parts they want reality obliterated because they don't want to deal with they want reality. freedom from reality yeah yep they want right. freedom freedom from reality just like uh what right. was uh gavin newson's freedom from uh freedom from hate so he wants freedom. Well, from I think hate. this is a, I think this is a perfect time to play that Gavin Newsom drop again. Oh man, he's gonna get uh, he's gonna start collecting royalties. I think. I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight, or join us in California, where we still believe in freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to choose, freedom from hate, and the freedom to love. Don't let them take your freedom, Chandler. It's all your fault. <laughs> Those two actually go really, really well together. Yeah. Because that's exactly the thing. They're blaming people like Chandler, right? They're saying, hey, it's your fault that we have to change the way the world is and destroy it because you make hate exist. You make it so we can't love. They're not worried about the actions. And that's what's crazy about it. It is. Right. Now, this article continues and it talks about sort of the trends that this guy has observed to see how things are changing, right? He talked about how people are moving to things like Substack, where Substack is more agnostic towards content, right? They're not policing in the way you know, Twitter and LiveJournal and Instagram and all these platforms are to make sure you have a social justice view. They're more agnostic. Uh, he mentions a bunch of shows. I wanted to mention the show Cobra Kai. And the yeah. reason I did is I think it's extremely relevant to this situation. And when we look at the last quote, it will really show us why. And I'll, I'll I'll get, I'll get into that. So let me read this last quote I wanted to read. And then there is the issue of generational change. Though older progressive leaders may worry about their organizations tearing themselves apart. Their young woke stars are eager to take over leadership. Wokeness presented itself as revolutionary, but usually it was tedious, bureaucratic, punitive, and obtuse. Those very features will make it hard to dislodge institutionally, even as awareness of them becomes widespread. So while we may have hit peak woke in terms of what people actually believe, the mindset will live on for some time to come as policy. So what he's talking about here, William, young woke stars are eager to take over leadership. Yeah, I think that there is an element here that we've kind of addressed on this show that he's getting at that most people have not identified yet. 
and it's using the destruction pragmatically to fuel their own narcissism. Yes. And I'm, I'm talking about my own generation and I'm talking about the generation that's coming after us, right? We needed everything to be ours and to be new. We could not accept that anything came before us that was good and that influenced us and was worth celebrating and accepting and preserving. We had yep. to either reboot or remake everything or destroy it. Imagine, yeah, yeah. We had to because we, had we to could bring, not accept bring it. things into our cultural, uh, uh, you know, culturally update things. Right? You know, we can't have Beowulf and and it be Beowulf. We have to. Uh, we have to uh, make sure that there's a good amount of Africans and uh, and uh, uh, Asians and all all sorts of other things in Beowulf because it's just not inclusive, right? And you're even going deeper when you're talking about a, a classic work of literature. I'm just talking about American things. This is yeah. why I want to use the example of Cobra Kai, and it's by the way, it's also why uh, if you want to know why the new Top Gun was so successful, it's for the same reasons I'm talking about. Cobra Kai is better than Karate Kid. Yeah, I said it. Yep. Right. I agree. The reason it is better than Cobra, better than Karate Kid, and this, this is the same thing about why the new Top Gun Maverick is better than Top Gun, is because they did not destroy what came before. They took it and they said, "Well, how has the world changed since then, and how does that inform our understanding of this, so the story can progress?" Because William, our story, whether we like it or not is the progression of all the stories of all the human beings that came before us, yeah. more specifically our family members. And, you know, a lot of this is tied up in people having family issues and our culture's deep-seated devaluing. daddy issues, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, devaluing family. We've, we've done a well, great job Well, because a lot of people family. have trauma and abuse coming from their family situation. So I get it. But that's what Cobra Kai talks about. Or yeah. Even more than Maverick, right? This is why I want to talk about Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai talks about that. It talks about what? Think about it. What Johnny Lawrence went through because of Sensei Kreese. The abuse he suffered. And look yeah. what it turned him into. And then he's turning around and passing that on to his son. And he's trying not to. And then he unintentionally passes stuff on to Miguel too. But he's trying to be a better person. And it's about the ki- the adult characters grappling with that and how that gets handed on to the kids and they try to improve as well. Cobra yeah, Kai is also, telling the also, story of this. Yeah, and Cobra Kai touches on uh, the theme of, of masculinity and femininity. And, and without being a feminist uh, version of... Uh, of uh, of um toxic masculinity and and a caricature of toxic femininity but you see you see those those mechanisms play out right like the the sort of toxic femininity is all the social pressure and you see that play out in certain storylines the social pressure aspect right and then and then you see the violence aspect you know the what would be traditionally the the toxic um masculinity and you see the interplay and the balance between these things and and putting checks and balance on those things are usually how they solve the problems that they're facing in the storylines. And you don't see that in any, it's, there's not a lot of art that's being made today that shows that because it's all woke. Right. Because what came, what they do is they're rejecting what came before because they didn't make it. Oh, it's not part of my experience. So it has no validity. Oh, it's not who I am. It does. It's not mine, so I, it has no value at all. But what they do 
is there is a healthy amount of reverence for what came before. And what I mean by that is they say, hey, this is what they got. And this is what they understood. And this is why this was something that people valued. Well, where does that leave us now? And how do we create something that we believe other people will value? Yeah. You know, I'm not necessarily a fan of remakes and continuations. I mean, I, people who have listened to this show for years know, and you must remember, William. Remember, I was against Cobra Kai before it came out. Yes. I was like, yes. this is stupid. Why do we yep. need more Karate Kid? Yeah. But never let it be said that I can't be convinced and change my mind. If you ever, anyone ever wants to try and fucking call me out and say I'm stubborn and I don't change my mind, just look at the way I have flipped completely on Cobra Kai. Ladies and because gentlemen, I am not a genius. Yes, we Well, know. I mean, I would actually say my ability to flip shows I am a genius, but hey, that's a different <laughs> thing. But you get the point I'm making, right, William? There is no narcissism involved in the making of Cobra Kai. Look no. at the, I will not watch the new Saved by the Bell because they've turned it into a woke thing, remember? Yeah. They destroyed, yep. they, their entire point was to destroy the original series and show oh, how it was flawed. Don't get me started. You're doing a spoiler for a tra- 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 uh, trailer takedown. Speaking of destroying beloved franchises. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that um, that brings us to the end here. And the, the, the last thing I kind of wanted to say is the difference between woke and farce is that woke is a very specific type of farce. And even if woke goes away, which it won't be, as this guy says, unfortunately, it's being encoded because people want to use the laws and the system to constantly destroy what they don't like and what threatens them woke won't be going away but farce will never go away because farces will all there will always be people who evade reality and who don't want to deal with things as they are and try and make us do ridiculous things so don't think woke and farce are the same thing yep great point uh i want to make one last point before we end the segment and that and and maybe we should have a discussion on discord about this but to me i'm seeing an, an analogy you know, as Rome was falling, uh, you know, Christianity was the religion that was taking hold and uh, and shaping the culture. Uh, is woke is is what uh, is Rome to Christianity? What uh, America is to woke? Is this is this the like? I mean, this is the danger, right? But how much of that analogy holds true, and and what is the implications? That's uh, something that's been bopping around in my head the last couple of weeks. Something to reflect on. And that's something we need to reflect on when we engage with art. So let's do that in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Uh, you know, usually we like to read people's uh, read people's uh, comments for the trailer takedown that they leave in Discord. Sorry, I lost that for a second there. Uh, we throw a lot of the articles in there. You know, I threw the screenshot of the uh, the ridiculous tweet, uh, the ironic tweet uh, in the Discord. So. Go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. You click on any episode link and inside the episode link, there's the join link, the join code for joining our discord. We look forward 
to hearing from you. All right, William. This week I saw Thor Love and Thunder, which is the fourth Thor movie. I can't believe we're at that point where we're saying that. These movies continue to get hyped. Uh, I'm going to give you my one-sentence review on Letterboxd, like I always do. You can look me up on Letterboxd for my rankings. Um, I said, Christian Bale's performance and a few compelling plot elements highlight how Marvel's formula, though dependable, is restraining its movies. And let me expound on that just a little bit, because I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again with these movies, right? With these Marvel movies. Look, you know what you're going to get, right? You're going to get some spectacle, right? The use of like 80s music, right? If you've, if you've looked at Thor, Love and Thunder, the trailer is it all. It looks like the movie Heavy Metal, right? Some of that, that's cool. Although Zack Snyder's done it better. There's some cool use of, of black and white, uh, but again, Zack Snyder's done it better. If you've seen the Justice League, Justice is um, Justice is Gray edition, right? Done better, and that's literally just they took the movie and transitioned into black and white. Uh, this movie features an excellent performance from Christian Bale. This is one of the most well-developed villains in Marvel history. Uh, he believed in a god. His entire family, all his fellow believers died and then his daughter died and he finally met the God and the God was cruel and told him there was no eternal reward or anything. Interesting. So then for some reason, and this is where we start to get to the comic booky part of it. For some reason, he's gifted a sword that helps him kill gods and he decides all gods must die because he's trying to punish them for what happened to his daughter. At the same time, Thor is trying to rediscover who he is and he does that while coming across Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, who was his love interest from the first movie. And she is now the wielder of the hammer due to love. And they explained that. That is an interesting plot element, the way they explained it. Now, they never used that to the full degree. They, they went in a weird direction with it. But again, that has to do with the Marvel formula, which I'm not going to spoil. But I'll tell you how how the Mar- Marvel formula you can probably predict. But what's interesting is the interesting plot element is they did this whole thing where Natalie Portman is dying of stage four cancer. And by using Jane Foster, sorry, Jane Foster is dying of stage four cancer. And by using the hammer and becoming the mighty Thor, she becomes a superhero. So there's an interesting, I've never seen that done. It was sort of done in the, um, Jared Leto vampire movie where he was sick and he got superpowers because of that. Right. But it wasn't like when he had the hammer, when he had the the skills, he wasn't sick anymore. And then he became sick again. Right. There was an interesting dichotomy here that they could have done a lot with. But the problem, William, is this movie ends the same way. The hero must suffer in order for everybody else to be happy and get what they want, including the Mm. villain. We saw this with Spider-Man. We've seen this with every Marvel movie. It goes to this, this again, kindergarten-ish, right? What, what, what were the, the words? I'm going to scroll up here in my outline. Scroll up here. Silly, kindergarten-ish, nice, kind. It goes to these simplistic, specious ideas of what good and what a hero are, 
Right, and it's the idea yeah, that that's the, oh, being a hero so is sacrifice. Yeah, it's sacrifice and suffering. It's primarily suffering, right? Yeah, that's not the, that's not in the comics, at least not the uh, you know the old school comics, right? Yeah, not that's not to say that the heroes didn't suffer. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it wasn't because of their suffering that's what made them heroes. Right, and it's 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 you you've really hit it with the suffering. It's really the the emphasis on suffering. And look, they have a more compelling argument here because the villain, right? The villain, Christian Bale's character, there's a lot of empathy for him. And like I said, he's one of the most well-developed villains. Like the most well-developed villain was probably Thanos, but he wasn't empathetic, right? The dude was just nuts. But with this villain, you kind of, you get where he's coming from and they create an end goal for him. They kind of pull a switcheroo, which is again, a let me guess, there's a MacGuffin. I mean, yes, <laughs> there's a MacGuffin that he's pursuing, which can get him one wish and blah, blah, blah. Now, again, man, these are all interesting plot elements, but they're not integrated around a theme. The last thought I will leave you with is this to drive my point home. Thor, Love and Thunder. You don't find out who Love and Thunder are until the last minute of the movie. Would it make sense to name the movie that or should that have been the name for the next Thor movie? Shouldn't this movie have been the mighty Thor because it was about Natalie Portman's Thor? Maybe. I mean, it's, it's tough because, you know, uh, as the, uh, the YouTubers, the, the fandom menace calls it, uh, Marvel phase bore, um, instead of phase four, uh, they have a big problem, right? They're, they're, they're trying, they jumped way forward in the comic storyline, skipped a lot of, uh, storylines that could have, you know, actually been made and 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 probably generate a lot of money to get to the more woke stories and uh and even if they had chosen to you know pull some of the late 80s uh or 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 late 70s comic storylines from a lot of these books they would still face a second problem which is you know that there's an inevitable sort of letdown and and lull as you introduce new characters and and uh and you know, you have to move chess pieces around to do the next sort of phase of rising action and climax, right? And um, I feel like they're not doing a good job of it, right? There, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of these stories, you talked about integration in the story. I haven't even seen this movie, but I'm, I'm going to guess that it doesn't integrate well with, with what's going on in the sort of cinematic universe, right? Like, can you imagine watching Doctor Strange and not being aware of, of the storylines for, um, for, uh, what was the one on Disney plus the Scarlet witch, uh, show, right? Yeah. Like it won't, wouldn't, wouldn't make any sense. Right. Right. And well, and that I, was, that was an argument I had with one of my wrestlers. Actually, she kept telling me like, you know, how great Wanda's character was and everything. And I was yeah. like, well, none of that's in the movie. She's like, well, you have to watch WandaVision. And I was like, but I didn't like WandaVision. She's like, yeah. well, we have to watch it to get the movie. I go, the movie should stand on its own. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's nice to have connective tissue between the two, but the movie should stand on its own. And it definitely didn't. And I mean, what part of what you're saying, William, goes back to what we were saying in the last segment. This idea of you have to destroy what came before. Yeah. I get what that they're trying to adapt everything, but they're now adapting it in the social justice woke way where they're trying to destroy it. And we saw that with 
the entire Iron Man arc after Iron Man yeah. 1 and 2 and perhaps Iron Man 3. It was all about destroying Iron Man. It wasn't yep. about making new Iron Man stories. What's the it same was, thing it here? Was, it was what they would have, just to be fair to them, just to steal man from, from this woke and sort of, uh, uh, well, woke's not even the right word for it, for this sort of non-objective art sort of inter- interpretation of it. They saw it as sacrificing, right? They 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 were giving a worthy sacrifice of Iron Man, right? Yes. And you know it, it goes all the way back to was it well which uh, was it Civil War whatever movie would when uh, I flipped shit and stopped watching Marvel movies because I was like hey the lines are exactly backwards right Cap should be saying these lines and and yes and Civil Iron War was the backwards those. one yeah but it started yeah. with the Winter Soldier was when it we did. started saying yeah. hey this is obvious what's going on look and I don't want to belabor this point. The point I'm making is it links to the narcissism we talked about earlier where, hey, it's great you adapted all these storylines, Kevin Feige, but hey, guess what? The movies don't have to be the same thing as the comics. You've got everyone to to buy in. You don't always have to adapt. You can do things a little differently. But then again, isn't that what Zack Snyder did? He took elements from the comics and remixed them and made his own stories and people got really mad at him because they just wanted to see the comics on... Screen, But then again, that goes back to the narcissism, right? Oh, well, this is the story I saw or I read when I was a kid. I want to see that on the screen. Yeah. You know, so, I, I, look. I, I, there's so many good shows out now and things like that. Uh, there's so few. Sorry. There's so few good shows out now. Um, yeah, I was going to say. And, <laughs> and so, like, I... I, I I feel like uh, I feel like I, I must be getting old in my uh, in my uh, uh, my golden years, uh, golden girls years, because I'm identifying as a woman, of course. Um, and I would just rather watch Iron Man than watch this movie as you described it. I, I'd rather watch the original Iron Man. Right. Well, and that's that's the point I'm getting to as well, where I'm going back and I'm watching older shows. Right. I'm now listening to Pod Meets World and doing the the rewatch of Boy Meets World with. Ryder Strong, Danielle Fischel, and Will Friedle, because I'd rather do that than watch the newer shows. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to make it seem like this is terrible. Look, it's a middle of the road. Like, it's a bro. Okay. Middle of the road ranking. There's spectacle. You're not going to hate it. I didn't hate watching it. But, as with everything, you're not going to hate watching it because it's silly, it's kindergartenish, it's nice. But it has the undercurrent that in the long run isn't going to get us anywhere, and that's what we have to balance right now. And we're just, yeah. we're not balancing it right, and that's the problem. Yep. On that note, let's talk about some movies that are going to come out. For Trailer Takedown, I usually put the trailers for the movies in on Saturdays. I did it on Friday this week because obviously we're recording a day earlier. I do that so, you know, you can watch the trailers and give us your thoughts on them or... You know, you can do whatever you want. If you want to listen to us and then watch all the trailers, or you want to watch all the trailers and then listen to us, or you want to alternate, you can do that. Trailer takedown. First trailer. The Woman King stars Viola Davis as a warrior woman leader. I guess king is the word we're using now. They did it in Thor 2 where they had Valkyrie as a king. Uh... Again, this is the controlling of language over action. I don't really care. I don't really care that Viola Davis is a king or not in this movie. Uh, Of an African nation who is trying to repel European colonizers. So, I just want to get ahead of something. Because it's the least interesting thing to me about this trailer. I don't want to 
discuss this movie from a woke angle. Because historically, it is accurate that Europeans tried to go in and colonize Africa. And I understand why nations in there would like to defend themselves from colonizers. That makes sense. So this could be a compelling story, simply based upon that. I'm not simply going to say, oh, you know, oh, they're having white people as the villain and black people defending themselves against evil white people. I'm not going to read into that narcissistically and turn this into some social justice argument. In fact, I can see parallels with 300 here, where you have a nation who's trying to preserve its freedom from an incoming empire trying to take them over. So there's a lot to like here. I kind of like that story, right? I kind of like that story. On the other hand, there are some things that are concerning about this movie. I understand Viola Davis is a great actress. Is she right for a warrior part, though? I kept looking at her and I was like, that's a warrior? And maybe I've been watching Zack Snyder movies too much, but like, maybe try a little bit more to look like a warrior? I don't know. I just don't see like... She's known for playing Amanda Waller, who's like the evil bureaucrat, right? Are we really going to put the evil bureaucrat in like a physical warrior role? And also, this doesn't seem to have been shot in a particularly compelling way. So it's like they took like a really interesting concept and story. And it's, I don't know if they did it as good as they could. But because of me saying, I don't know. I would be willing to give this a chance, especially if there was nothing else out around the same time. Because it looks like it could be a really cool story. Like, you're going to invade our country, so we're going to fucking raise an army and fight back against you. Like, how do you not like that kind of a story? How do you not like it? Now, the execution, I don't know about. I'm in the middle of the round. I'm middle of the, the road about that. So this is like the most tentative hug ever. Hug. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, you know, has uh, guns and sort of explosions. Um, and it looks like there's going to be some action. And plus all the stuff that you said about the story, um, it could be it could be compelling. It could be interesting. But much like you, I'm kind of sitting on the fence on it. And I know that you you're able to separate that woke uh, like take out. But I couldn't help myself. And I know this is wrong because I'm doing what the what the Wokians do. Um, I I couldn't help but think while we were watching this. Um, well, hey, the number one traders in 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 the African slave trade were were other African tribes, and uh, and like maybe they're maybe they'll do something with that. Maybe they'll you know maybe that'll be a plot element and 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 be interesting. But I, I couldn't help myself, right? Uh, and and think oh they're just going to make this as uh, all you know the evil white people and 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 sort of whitewash history in a, in a in a in in the actual way that uh, uh, makes sense uh, of whitewashing not how the woke folks usually use whitewashing. All that being said, I think uh, I think after listening to what you said and how you're able you know how how you're able to separate it out, I think I think I need to suspend my disbelief on that issue and see if this you know this looks like it could be a good story this um uh i it's funny because i was looking at the uh like just kind of clicking around looking at different stills as you were saying like talking about how uh it didn't look quite right uh in the visual sense and i think that there's just some i think there's just way too much green screen being used for things and there's just an unreality to it um 
for a historical uh, uh, drama that I that that comes across the trailer. Maybe that won't be in the film. You know, maybe maybe the film uh, will have that cleaned up and it'll look different or, or it'll be more cohesive. Sure. Um, but all that being said, this is definitely a Netflix and hug for me. Netflix and hug. The unreality you're talking about, William. Uh, that's what I mean with the comparison to 300. Like, if you're going to do that, go full 300. You can't, oh, yeah. like, have it half on reality. And as far as the stuff with the slave trade and everything, they don't even, like, this is part of what romanticism is, like a selective recreation of reality, right? Yeah. You don't need to address the slave trade, and you don't need to address the element to tell this story. If you just want to tell a compelling story of, hey, here's this badass woman who rose an army and fought back the invading conquerors, the invading colonizers, you can tell that story. I don't need you to be like, oh, well, there were also people who sold her people out. Now, if you want to show that the battle was internal and external, you could include that and do that in a way that's non-social justice where you're just like, look, there were even people amongst your own country who are not helping the cause, right? It could be done, but I don't need it. I don't need it. And that's... The reason I'm being so generous here is this is a cool story. And if we liked it with 300, it shouldn't matter what the sides are. If it's the same story, it's the same story. It's just a question of how well they're telling it. Not the right, not the race, the religion, the gender. I mean, maybe religion plays in because that's ideas, right? But not the race, certainly not the gender. Why does that matter? It could be an entire country of women. I don't give a shit. Like that's like... Isn't that part of why the first Wonder Woman works? Because the Amazons are badass? Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Second trailer. Emily the Criminal stars Aubrey Plaza as a woman who's like down on her luck and can't, you know, needs to make money. And she starts doing like counterfeiting with credit cards, it looks like. And then she goes down like the rabbit hole. Look, I'm not going to keep talking about this. This looks like it's like a bad version of Breaking Bad, except with a woman in the main role. And it's not about drugs instead of an old chemistry teacher. This doesn't look interesting to me. I will say, though, this is another in the long history of people who we think are purely comedic talents acting in a different role and knocking it out of the park. I do not want to knock Aubrey Plaza's performance because her performance in this trailer looked pretty good. And I was like, hey, where's this actress been? Because generally I find her annoying as a comedic actress. I don't find her funny. But I thought, hey, she looked pretty good in this. So look, if you wanted to watch this for her performance, I would get it. But I don't know. The rest of it just looks like it would bore the fuck out of me. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's much I can add to this I, other than to also say that... Uh... I didn't. I, I don't know what I couldn't put my finger on it, but I didn't like the visual style either in this one. And it's uh, naturalistic. Yeah, so I think I'm just going to tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. The Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, is. I honestly don't know what the fuck this is. Like I watched this trailer and I was like, "Oh, look, fantastical creatures! There's a light in the sky." What the fuck am I watching here? Look, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a fan of Lord of the Rings. But I'm a fan of the genre, and it's, it, you know, I'll give you a chance if you're trying to, like, improve things and, like, do a new version of it. But I, this, this didn't look like anything. 
I literally, I don't have anything to say about this besides like, hey, there were some people with like makeup on and there was like a comet in the sky and like they looked at it. Like, what is this? Tackle. Tackle? Yes. Question tackle. Yes. Good one. Uh, so, uh, we talked about the destruction of, uh, of, uh, of good, uh, art, um, as being, uh, and as being part of the, uh, woke movement. This is, uh, this is it. This is, uh, this is the attempt to destroy Lord of the Rings. And, um, this teaser trailer is, uh, the epitome of, uh, of some hilarity and farce. They, uh, they, at first this trailer was only available on, on, in the Prime app. And then they finally released it on YouTube. And, uh, uh, the like to dislike ratio is, uh, is pretty, pretty awful. All the top comments are, um, Lord of the Rings quotes from, uh, from Tolkien. Um, well, how do you like this? I just thought like, there's nothing to like. There's just stuff. Where, uh, there's so many things that are, that's just wrong with the, you know, we, we, cause I've watched the other trailers as well. Um, there's so much ro- that's just wrong with this take and, uh, this, the, the complete disregard for canon and, and um basically just doing the opposite there's a, this is this is all just background that i know uh from from following this uh this development um basically taking the opposite view of um the lord of the rings uh the movie the original movies the the original trilogy movies where uh the you know all the way up from the director on down they were saying like hey we're explicitly not bringing our politics or our views we're trying to represent tolkien's vision on film Right, and now you have Prime, and the the showrunners here are saying the exact opposite. Right, they want to modernize uh, the 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 whatever that they have the rights for to do this Lord of the Rings stuff, and uh, so now we have things like Warrior Gladriel. Right, um, we have we have um, uh, hobbits in a time frame where where there weren't hobbits. Um, that comet is uh, I know from being familiar with Lord of the Rings lore, that comet that you're seeing, that's a, that's a, that's a wizard. That's a, that, 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 that's a wizard coming thousands of years before they were supposed to come. Do you, would it be Gandalf? I don't know. Like what I'd be, we're, we're, we're not dealing with Canon here. We're dealing with uh fan fiction. So like, I don't, I don't even know what they're doing. And they, they has anyone ever called fan, uh, fiction fanon? <laughs> I don't know. Fan Canon is fanon. Did I just coin a term? I think you just did. So, so William, I get everything you're saying and I'm on board with you. What about right. this? Just can you look at this teaser, qual this teaser without all that other stuff? Yeah. Try to pretend like I don't know all this other stuff. This yeah. teaser is boring. It tells you nothing. It and because it lacks the visual style of the original Lord of the Rings, it's not going to pull any of the normies in. Right. If people, if, if, if I am vigorously wanted... shaking my head yes right now. Okay. Well, yeah, I can hear it rattling all the way in California because <laughs> this is what's wrong with this trailer. And, uh, this, uh, you know, as much as I, uh, sang the praises of Amazon for, for, uh, saving the expanse, I will revile this, uh, this, uh, series for what it's, uh, attempting to do to Lord of the Rings. So this is a very, very Balrog tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Clerks 3 is the third movie in the Clerks trilogy we never thought we were going to get by Kevin Smith. In it, Randall and Dante are dealing with, I think Randall has a uh, medical emergency and then tries to make a movie 
which it looks like he's making the original Clerks. So now Clerks has folded in on itself to make the original Clerks as a movie in the third Clerks. Here's the thing I will say about this. If you are looking for, like, 90s originality, go watch the original Clerks. Go watch all of Kevin Smith's movies back then. Clerks, Small Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Watch those in that order. Those are all enjoyable movies. Are they the best movies ever made? No, but they're a dude who wanted to make movies, and he has his own voice, and they connect, and they, you know, they're enjoyable to watch, and they're above average, right? I'd say they're probably... You know, all bromantic movies. I, I, I'll, I'll probably go out on a limb and say that. Likewise, I will say, I enjoyed Clerks 2. Clerks 2, it, it had a good point to it. And it had, like, some of the funniest stuff that I still reference. Like, when we were just talking about Lord of the Rings, do you remember the, the Clerks 2 Lord of the Rings gag where, yeah. where Randall made fun of it? Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, the way Randall makes fun of Lord of the Rings and Clerks 2 is absolutely fucking brilliant, where he mimics walking across for three movies and then just dropping a ring in a volcano. Like, to me, that's what the, the Lord of the Rings movies are, and it's funny. And I enjoyed Clerks 2. I thought it was an enjoyable movie. You know, Kevin Smith has been more miss in his later part of his career, but this trailer is so batshit insane meta that I'm interested to see what he does with this movie. The idea that Randall is making a movie about working in the quick stop in the video store. And that movie looks, that looks like he's making the original clerks. That's just a, that is such a batshit insane idea that I have to see how he executes it. Hug. Hug. Yeah. I think I'm going to give this a chance. You know, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not huge into comedies, but, uh, I've always laughed at Clerks. Uh, Clerks has always made me laugh, uh, the first one and the second one. I, 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 and the, 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 getting everyone back together again and seeing the, seeing the, uh, the store. It's the, there is, it, it does, uh, rustle the member berries a little bit for me. And, and, uh, I did nothing but smile just listening to their lines and how they interact because that's just so familiar. And, uh, and it's so, uh, almost Americana at this point, um, how, uh, because frankly, we're just that old Justin, but it looks like it's fun and, uh, I'll give it a chance. So I'm going to give it a hug. Mm, hug. This may be strange for you to hear me say, William, but what you just described is what makes me okay with getting old. Like, if getting old means, like, something batshit insane like Clerks 3 happens, and I don't mean, like, the idea of always having Clerks 3, I mean this Clerks 3, the way it was done, I'm okay with getting old, because that means I live long enough to see Clerks 1 and 2, and grow, and be there along with Kevin Smith to see him come here and understand how batshit insane this is, because you know there are going to be some kids who watch Clerks 3 and be like, I don't get it, this is stupid. But that means we've been along this journey. And that's part of what you earn with aging. So I'm okay with getting old if that means I get to see shit like the batshit insane Clerks 3. I'm okay with that. Yep. All right, that brings us to the end of this trip. What did we learn? William? I learned that there's a difference between woke and farce and that we may uh, uh, have reached peak uh, woke, but once again, as a law of nature, it's like the second law of thermodynamics will never... Uh, reach peak parse. 
Justin, what did you learn this? Uh, I came up with the concept of Fanon, and I don't know if anyone else has ever come <laughs> up with that before, but I want to just say that we should start using it. We need to distinguish it, right? Cobra Kai is canon. The Force Awakens trilogy is fanon. Damn. And yeah. we need to distinguish between those two to grant legitimacy or not as far as what is done or not. I would even consider the entire MCU Kevin Feige fanon, right? Yeah. Where we talk about the original Iron Man, that's canon, right? Yep. Uh, but I... It's a little different with comic book movies, but you get the point I'm making with Cobra Kai and Karate Kid and um, the new Star Wars trilogy. You have to look at the difference between what are the intentions of the movie. Is the intention to destroy and create your own version of, or is it to add and grow something? And I, th I think we can start distinguishing between canon and fanon, and I may start using that more. All right. All right, I want to thank you all for listening. Like I always say, with not for you, this would just be me talking into the corner of my closet. It still is that, but you make me feel a little less crazy. If you want to support the show, you could do so by going to midside.com slash store, picking up any of those new t-shirts I will uh, make eventually. I don't remember what the t-shirt was, but I'm sure William will tell me. There's also the midside.com slash the cut where you can buy my novel. You can go to midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. That is how we keep the lights on. Please, please, please. Tell a friend, because that's the best way to grow a show. And if you don't tell a friend, you know whose fault it is? My fault? I thought you were going to play the drop. Oh, well. Okay. Chandler, it's all your fault. It's that's all right. Chandler's fault. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Nemozneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Chandler, it's all your fault. <laughs> William, that drop is so good because like Chandler's been like one of the coolest fans of the show where he doesn't like say anything like wrong or anything, but also because and I don't want to like go around saying who's a cool objectivist or who isn't, but I don't feel like you're a cool objectivist until like Yaron looks at you and says it's all your fault or he gives <laughs> you that look where he just completely disagrees with you. <laughs> Yep, yep. You've reached, you've, you've, you've unlocked a, a achievement, an Xbox achievement in objectivism when you, uh, when you get that look.